Well, here we go again. This, this session will be, uh, on my part, much more informal. I'm not going to read from a, a manuscript. I have some notes and some ideas. Um, I'll tell you um, the way I'll frame my remarks. Number one, <clears throat> I thought I'd tell you a little bit about the book, you know, um, how I came to write the book. It's very unusual in terms of my experience. Um, that's number one. Number two, um, I'll zero in on what has been the hot issue among Adventists now for the, over the last number of years, still is, and that is <coughs> the role of women ministers, and in particular their, uh, their ordination or commissioning. And then briefly, <coughs> um, what lies ahead, the annual council coming up in a, very, very soon, in a week or two, and um, I'll give you my prediction on that. I'm not a prophet, but uh, I'll tell you what I think is likely to happen, but I really don't know. I think it is a, a really critical, critically important annual council that is about to convene. And we need to be praying about that um, very much. I do want to say at the beginning that um, <coughs> the, the people in the General Conference, and they're almost all men, are my friends. They were my colleagues for years. I was 20, I was 20, I was quarter of a century at headquarters. And um, while I was editor of the Adventist Review, um, I was a member of the General Conference Committee and uh, actually a member of 40 other committees of the General Conference. Yeah, 40, um, which may sound a lot. There were some people who were members of 100 committees. So you may wonder, what did you do apart from committees? And the answer is travel either travel or attend committees. That, that's a life in the general conference. You've got to remember, these are hard-working people who really seek the best uh, and sincere people. And um, so it was with some pain that uh, I, I, I wrote this book. Um, how did I come to write it? I've written quite a few books, I don't know, 25, maybe 30 books. This one is totally different in the way it came about and uh, the, the re response to it. On responses, I've never had any book that has had such a huge response. It only came out, I think, in um, April. It was online, available um, um, on Kindle for a couple of weeks and then was released about middle of April <coughs> to Amazon.com. <coughs> we can, Noli and I like to go walking. We live in Loma Linda these days. We like to go walking. We can hardly go walking any morning without someone stopping to say, thank you for this book. People, you know, a guy goes by on a bicycle, um, Great book, thank you, you know. Uh, guy's out running, he runs up to us, says, I just want to say thanks for the book, turns around, runs back. You know, it's been amazing. I go to the supermarket status and people come up, how can I get this book? Why isn't it in the ABCs? Actually, it is in some ABCs now, but not all. Um, so, it's remarkable uh, what is happening. Uh, I've been getting a rash of invitations. This is our third weekend on the row, in a row that I'm out speaking. Last week we were in um, Portland, Oregon, and the weekend before that we were with the board of La Sierra University at their annual retreat and asked me to speak again, three meetings based on the book and Couple of weeks, I'll be up in Seattle, and I mean, this is my life has really been impacted by this book. Uh, 
But um, I did not set out to write the book. Okay, I did not. Um, I was. I set out to write something to get what was inside of me out. The, the general conversation in San Antonio upset me. No, no way I can put it mildly. I was greatly disturbed. I was not there, okay? I was not there. But I did hear, did follow the debate on the Wednesday about the women's um, ordination, that debate. And um, I heard from a lot of people who sent me um, emails, telephone calls. And um, anyway, the, especially the Wednesday really, really troubled me greatly. Um, and uh, the more I thought about it, the more, more I heard, the more troubled I became. It, it seemed to me, and more than ever now it seems to me, that the vote on women's ordination was not a, a clean vote, it was not a fair vote. Sorry to have to say that. I can't trust that vote. I cannot. I'll tell you why. Well, there's several, but two big reasons. Number one, the General Conference set up a wide-ranging commission, more than 100 people, people from around the world, to discuss this matter. And they met at least, I think it's three times they met. I was not on it, okay. They met. Now, you're talking about, I think, quite a bit of money. I don't know how much. At least a quarter of a million dollars, maybe half a million, okay? Bring in people from around the world. They are together for days. You had travel expense, lodging, okay? You know, you're talking about good money, right? Um, the report of that commission was never presented to the general conference session. To me, that is, that is not permissible, okay? Uh, I'm very concerned when it comes to money matters, as you may have heard me, okay, and other matters. But this church basically has, exists now and has grown on the backs of people who love this church, many of them don't have much money. Many have just a social security check. Some people I know, they will go without a, a meal, you know, so they can put in an offering, give to some call. That's our church. Okay. So when money is used not in a responsible way, it really troubles me. It makes me angry. Okay. So there's the money side of that. Okay. All this money, no report given. And, um, and that's the other thing which troubles me even more, you know. We get our, we select these best people and they present a report and the majority favoured what? Permitting each division to do its own thing. That was their report. But presumably it was not the result that the administration wanted to hear, and so they said, this report will not be presented. I'm angry about that. I am, okay. It's not the way that this church should run, it should not. So um, that's one reason why I cannot have confidence. Delegates, you know, uh, were never given an opportunity to hear the report and the recommendation of that report. Second thing, well, I think the vote, I cannot really have confidence in it was. And here I go back to um, the um, New Testament model, Acts 15, which is often quoted, the Jerusalem Council, when they came to discuss um, whether the Gentile Christians should keep the laws of Moses, and in particular, be circumcised. That's the background. You go back and look at that. What, what really was key in that discussion was the council heard from the people who actually were working among the Gentile Christians. 
Now, the general conference session, when they discussed this, did not hear from leaders of our church were women serving in ministry. They did not. There was no report on that. I mean, wouldn't you expect to hear, you know, has their ministry been helpful? Has it been detrimental? Okay. Has it been dangerous to the church? In particular, my friends, we have a large country where, where this church is run by women, and I'm talking about China, China. We have hundreds of women pastors in China. They are the church, they're the ministry, okay? And many of them are, guess what? They're, they're ordained. How can that be? Well, China has a seminary, um, you know, for not only Adventists. And so um, Protestants and non-Catholics go there. And at the end of that course, the women, the people are ordained. So we have lots, scores of ordained women in China, and they're running the church. Some of them are in charge of churches of thousands, huge churches. The church is growing. It's in the care of women pastors. Wouldn't you think, wouldn't you think that when the world church comes together, we'd get a report from what's happening in China? Wouldn't you? You know, in, in Acts 15, they heard from people in the Gentile churches. So, you know, I, I, I'm sorry to say it. I've never said this before about any action taken at a general conference session, but I cannot have confidence in that. And um, I might as well tell you, tell you that. So anyway, anyway... Um, I wrote this book, first of all, <laughs> I had such a, a saintly woman <laughs> who is my life partner, uh, Nolene. And so for a couple of weeks after San Antonio, I really was not a very nice person, even less pleasant than usual. <laughs> and so I sort of grumped around the house, you know, just, you know, not a nice person. Because, you know, I, I was frustrated and I was angry. I was disappointed. Okay, the vote, the vote doesn't have to go my way, the way I wish. But the dynamics involved really frustrated me. But then a thought hit me, write something. See, I'm a writer. I'm a writer. Not a great writer, but I'm a writer. And... Um, since age 12, I've been writing, and uh, I was in elementary school when I did my first writing, writing contest. And so that's the best way I express myself in writing. So I did, and I got it out of my system. That is chapter one in this book. It's hardly been changed. Okay? Came out, written very quickly, came out just the way I wanted it to come out. And... Uh, I really didn't intend for it to go further. Maybe circulated among some friends, some of the women in the ministry, to encourage them. Um, but um, while I was working on that, I was getting these emails and telephone calls about other aspects of the session that um, really, really got my attention. And um, um, suddenly the idea began to think, hey, maybe I should write more. And I really did it sort of chapter by chapter, sort of not knowing how far it would go. And it came together in such an incredible way, such a wonderful way. Um, it was the easiest book I've ever written and the most difficult book I've ever written. Easy because these were ideas I'd had in you know, in my head for a long while. And I'd also done some writing and speaking on them, including the one project where I spoke, some of the material I'd presented at the one project, 
that developed into chapters in the book, um, making the main thing, the main thing that, that, that actually started out in Seattle, my first presentation of the One Project, for which, by the way, the One Project, for which I praise the Lord. I praise the Lord for the One Project. Um, praise him for, for Japheth, who's a fantastic organizer and has worked enormously hard. And this is ministered to countless thousands of people. So that's how the book came about. Um, so it easily built around the theme of San Antonio, which I call a tipping point. It's sort of before and after San Antonio. And, and each of the chapters, each of the issues, sort of divides into um, two possibilities for the church. What sort of church will we be? And in the case of women, will we be a church where we accept the gifts that God has given, regardless of whether a person is male or female, or one that does not? There would be one division. But all 10 chapters uh, take up different issues. And uh, so the book came about. I had written the book. Um, as I wrote it, um, I thought, well, this is going to be controversial. And some of my former colleagues, friends, may wonder, you know, is this guy sort of gone to seed in Loma Linda, <laughs> the California climate where... You know, Loma Linda, where nothing good comes out of there. Uh, you, you know, so, uh, so I was wondering, um, a couple of times I wondered, um, will I even go forward, you know? Is this book, and my biggest concern was that somebody might lose faith. That was my big concern. So I wrestled, and I lost a lot of sleep over this wrestling with how to present it and what I'd present. And I can tell you among the many, many responses I've had, uh, no one, not one, has said, you've caused me to lose faith. But on the other hand, I've had many people who said, thank you, you have given me hope to stay a Seventh-day Adventist. And some people who had given up have said, I'm going to give the church another chance. I just praise the Lord for this. So that's a long introduction, and I, I don't want to talk very long because I want to hear from you, okay? Um, oh, it's so much I could say. Um, yeah, it, it is ironic that we are talking about this. It's ironic, and it's, it's, it's sort of sad. Listen. We had Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Irma. You've got all this massive destruction, loss of life, people without homes, people who are sick, and beyond that, you've got a world where people are committing suicide, kids are going crazy, you know. And we're spending all this time on this question. Ellen White. What do you do with Ellen White? She was an ordained minister of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. You say, well, the hands were never laid on her. No. But God, as you were, had put his hands on her. And she said that very clearly. Okay. She didn't need men's hands on her head. And for most of her time, her long ministry, her credentials said, ordained minister. What do you do with Ellen White? How can one oppose women in ministry and still accept that Ellen White is not a false prophet? I don't know how you can put those together. By the way, I must say this, that if, if anyone here or listening or uh, following uh, online, you know, sees it differently. You have a conscience against women in ministry. Okay, you know, I respect that. I respect that. I don't want to force 
I have clear convictions which I've not always held, but which I've come to over the years from a study of the Bible principally and Adventist history, especially Ellen White's ministry. They have led me to the position that I now have. But, you know, if you see it otherwise, fine. I don't want to push my views on you, nor do I think that the church anywhere should try to push this on a congregation or a conference or a division where they say, no, this is, we don't really see this as part of our mission. I think that's important to be said. But in this book, just briefly, chapter one says it's over because I really do think it's over. It's over. There are 13 divisions of the world field. You may be surprised to hear that in seven of them now, in seven of them, women are serving as ordained slash commissioned ministers. In seven of them. Okay. So it's over. There's no turning back on this. No turning back. Women have shown themselves to be used by God. Wonderfully used by God. Okay, enough. And uh, what lies ahead? Okay, I put on my prophet's hat now. I think the General Conference has dug a hole for itself and doesn't know how to get out of it. Because this action was passed um, in that questionable vote in, um, there in San Antonio. And how do they get out of that now? Okay. So you have some parts of the world feel saying the divisions who didn't, who are still out of line with this action, they should be disciplined. Um, notice the, the action did not forbid the ordination of women ministers. The action was about what? <laughs> it was about each part of the world field having freedom to decide which would be best for their mission. That was the action. It did not deal directly with ordination or no ordination. Um, so a general conference in a whole, some divisions saying now we've got, this has to be enforced. Other divisions saying no, women are serving and we believe God has called them to this and we're not going to turn back. How do they get out of it? I don't know. I really don't know. We need to pray a lot for our leaders, okay? Um, I hear talk that um, there will be a call for punishing those unions where women have been ordained. Uh, a year ago, there was an action prepared and it leaked out, it did not come to the floor, it, it um, circulated in smaller committees. <coughs> there was such a strong reaction, it was quickly withdrawn. This action called for, it zeroed in on two unions in North America, even though you have other unions in, in, um, in, in other parts of the world, okay? Zeroed in on these two, Pacific and Columbia, and it would have called for the General Conference to step in and replace the leadership elected by the people, replace the leadership and make it union missions and new leaders appointed and a constituency to reverse the vote of these unions on women in ministry. I mean, that's, that's like, that's nuclear. That's nuclear. Can you imagine? Well, we live in the Pacific Union. We came from the Columbia Union. Can you imagine, you know, the reaction of our people at Loma Linda and around the Pacific Union? having the general conference saying, all right, you elected guys, you're out. You're only a union mission. We will put in new, new leaders. You think Adventists are going to take that? There's no way. I don't, unless I've totally misjudged the church in the West and in the East, where we came from. There's no way, okay? 
I think the action was incredibly ill-advised. And it was quickly withdrawn, and then no one wanted to be identified with it. It's hard to know who actually had written this uh, explosive document. So the word that is sort of leaked out, and I, I don't really have any, you know, I'm, I don't try to be in touch with all the stuff that happens in Washington anymore, but the um, word has sort of come out that that nuclear option will not, that's off the table. It ought to be. But there will be some other. And what that will be, who knows what it will be? Who knows? Um, the bigger issue, my friends, this is the immediate issue. The bigger issue is really an even more serious one, and that is authority. The authority of the general conference. Um, over against the authority of the unions. You see, according to the policies, long-standing policies, ordination is at the level of the unions, not at the general conference. And so these unions where women have been ordained, saying we are really true to policy. Okay? We're not out of line. You are out of line in forbidding this. So now, it's a big issue. The authority of the General Conference over against the authority of the unions. And um, I think, you know, if it hadn't come to this issue, I think some other issue would have come up sooner or later. Because over the years, the General Conference has grown in terms of its size as an institution. It's it's big, I think it's too big, it needs to be scaled back. And in terms of its authority, it's just grown and more and more toward being autocratic. A book I'd recommend very much to you, which came out just a couple of weeks ago, is by George Knight, our most prominent uh, historian by far. George, now retired, still writing, prolific writer. Now, he's written about 100 books. I've written 30. He's written 100. But, um, you know, he taught church history at the seminary for years. He's a preeminent historian. This book is a collection of his recent articles and presentations uh, with a preface, a long preface, titled Adventist Authority Wars, Ordination and the Roman Catholic temptation. What does he mean by that? The temptation that will become papal in terms of seeking to impose what we want on the church. This is a strong book. Okay, commend it highly to you. And he says at the beginning, he says, you know, I hope to just go to my rest without controversy. You know, you know I, 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 but he said my conscience wouldn't let me do it. He, he sent me an email this week and he said, Bill, it's your book that led me to write this book. So... I don't know whether I saw, only the Lord knows is this of his doing or not. I think it's his doing. Um, I, my book, I did not set out to write it, as I said. And from the beginning, I made it clear, no money for me from this book, not a cent, okay? That's off the table. No personal benefit that way. But, you know... I'm in a position where I can't be fired, <laughs> okay? <laughs> I can lose friends, and I don't like that. I'm a, but, you know, it's my church, too, okay? I'm no longer part of the General Conference Committee with voice and vote, but it's still my church, okay? And um, so if I feel I need to say something, I'll say something, hence this book. That's enough. I've gone on too long. Okay.
By the way, this is my favorite format now. Interchange, conversation. So uh, we, have a, we have a couple of microphones that you're welcome to come to and ask your questions directly here. Uh, so we have a couple of microphones that you're welcome to come to and ask your questions directly here. Uh, you can also text your questions in if you prefer to 303-601-6349 uh, or you can email them to me. Uh, so you're welcome to come to the microphone at the front here. I've had several texts already come in. Um, so if you want to line up, don't rush. As you see, you're watching online. Nobody's rushing. Oh, well, well, we haven't come. All right. Super. And then I'll take all the questions that have come through online. Yes. Oh, and actually, if you can come as close as you can to the microphone, because they are made for you to, to be intimate with. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to say your name, by the way. It's not a, it's not a conference session. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Great. There was a professor, I believe, from Andrews, and I'm sorry I don't remember his name, uh, spoke at a woman's conference, and I afterward listened to the presentation. And his take was that ordination really isn't a biblical concept, per se. And from my you know, own recollection of study of Scripture and so on, it's really not a heavy theme that comes through Scripture. Right. So it was really set up by um, you know, the Catholic Church as a yeah. system of hierarchy and so on. If that's the case, then why don't we just drop ordination, period, and not ordain anybody as we do now? Just simply what they did in Scripture was laid their hands on people for the task at hand for the time they were there. Yeah. And, um, and let it be that, we would mm -hmm. simplify the whole process. Uh, I mean, I'm yeah. just asking if that That's, is yeah. an option. That's exactly the position of the two uh, divisions in Western Europe. That's exactly their position. You know, uh, you see, uh, especially, especially, especially in the Scandinavian countries, um, the government the government's very strict concerning equality, treating men and women with equality. And um, the church's official position puts us actually at variance with the law of the land. And so their recommendation is exactly that. One credential for all. Call it commissioning, call it what you like, but just one credential. Um, the person you refer to, I think, is Dr. Darius, forgotten his last name. Yes. I've heard him present. He's a He's head of the theology department at the seminary. He did his doctoral dissertation on this topic of ordination. I learned a lot from him. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's not biblical. No, it's something that's been added on after the time of the early church. Yeah, turn the microphone up, thanks. Let's wait until it's on, is it on? No, it's just now. Uh, yeah, you could do the old tap thing. That's great. No, do not tap it. <laughs> yeah. No, we can't hear yet. Let's try it again. Oh, actually, you could try that one in the right, right in the corner over there, and just like you've been a bad boy. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Thanks. Banish to the corner. Yes. Thank there you, you. go. Um, I guess my only concern was, and you kind of touched on it, was um, the possibility of open rebellion by going ahead and saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to make women pastors no matter what the GC says, but you, you touched on it. You kind of put me at ease more on that because you said it's not actually, shouldn't actually be up to the GC. It should be up to the individual unions, and so it's not really rebellion, and so that, that makes me feel better. Not that rebelling against the church necessarily means rebelling against God, but I was just reminded of the story of like Korah when, you know, when they rebelled yeah. against Moses. And, oh, yeah. and I just was kind of concerned about that, but you kind of put my mind at ease, so. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> rebellion is an ugly word, and that word is being used, rebellion, by the unions. Um, and so this leads to a big discussion and argument about the policy, okay? The policy is very clear in what it states, goes back to the time of Ellen White, you know. Uh, we had conferences before we had unions, and we had unions. And uh, ordination, 
ministry has always been at that level. Um, now the General Conference um, has a different take on, on what that means today. Um, but I just want to add, there's a very good question was raised there. Um, you know, we have, vis-a-vis um, -vis the matter of rebellion, we have fundamental beliefs. Back of policies, we have fundamental beliefs. They are the bedrock of the Adventist church. Two of these fundamental beliefs, number 14, which deals with equality in the church, and the other one, spiritual gifts in the church. Both of these, especially number 14, says there'll be no discrimination on the basis of gender, okay, race, color, gender. So here's a big question. Who really is in line with the fundamental beliefs? I mean, there's, there's a big question, isn't it? Okay. Is it possible the general conference is out of line with that? Okay. Study it for yourself, okay. Especially number 14. See what it says. So, you know, in that light, the question of rebellion, you know, uh, rebellion against a vote taken somewhere, you know, it's a totally different context. And then there's another word that comes in here, conscience. At the seminary, almost all the seminary professors, one or two exceptions only, favor women at ordination, almost totally. Um, nine of them turned in their credentials to the general conference because it's a general conference institution. Their ministerial credentials come from them. They turned them in and said, we want to surrender our credentials so we have the same credentials as women are issued. I mean, now what, what drove that? Not money. They only stood to lose their jobs, okay. What, what was driving them? Conscience. Conscience. So, you know, in light of fundamental beliefs and in light of conscience, this talk of rebellion really takes on a different context totally. We have uh, so many wonderfully called uh, women pastors, yet we have so many conference presidents who are reluctant to let these women become lead pastors of churches because the churches said they will not accept them to be their pastors. What would you say to presidents to have them become courageous once again? Well, I would say you have to be guided by the local con uh, congregation. If the congregation doesn't want a woman to be their pastor, don't, don't try to impose one on. It's only going to cause trouble, you know, unnecessary trouble. This is something that is coming and growing and will grow more and more. No turning back. Don't let it come. Don't impose it. Bill, um, there are a few questions that come in in this nature here where they said, uh, how can I support uh, my denomination uh, financially or socially that contributes to the suffering, condemnation, and sometimes the death of my LGBTQ siblings? Yeah, that's sort of um, the next big issue, I think, on the horizon. It's already here, it's not on the horizon. And um, my thinking has changed on this, it's grown. You know, um, frankly, I. I find it very, very difficult to try to understand uh, what happens in the experience of um, people who are gay, lesbian, um, queer. I do, you know, in myself, I find it hard, difficult to understand. Um, Nolan has uh, three brothers. One is a scientist. He was actually vice president for research at Loma Linda for a number of years very good scientist, many publications. He and his daughter, who's an MD, PhD, have helped me a lot. In terms, of not so much the genetics, 
but the prenatal conditions, um, the evidence is overwhelming. The prenatal conditions can determine, you know, the, the orientation. And so, uh, some people may have make a choice. Yeah, a lot about this. It's just their first awareness is that, you know, this is what I am, even though it's it's different. And um, for me, you know, how to relate to this whole question? I I go back to Jesus. He's my touchstone, and Jesus accepted all people. He accepted lepers, he accepted Samaritans, all people. And so I, if, as a follower of Jesus, I have to accept all people. I really have no other option. And uh, it's going to be a while before our church works through this one. It's going to be a while. Because for many people, there's like a gut reaction. There's a, an emotional reaction, you know. People of good, sound mind sort of become unglued when they get into this area. You know what I mean? They really do. And uh, so, yeah, be patient with the church, okay? Um, find a congregation where there is acceptance to follow in the way of Jesus. With regards to your ordination, do you think the issue will split the church? Do you think the underlying issue really is about pride? The underlying issue is really about authority. That's what George Knight has helped me to understand. It's really about authority. Will it split the church? I pray God it will not. But I have to tell you, and Nolan can tell you, I'm an optimist. You know, youngest of nine children. She says, you're so lucky, you know. The young one, everyone, you're brought up in that, you know, where you had brothers and sisters, you know, to care for you. So I'm an optimist. And I'm still an optimist. That this church will not split. But for the first time, I foresee the possibility that it might. That it might. Sorry to say that, but it might. What I think will happen um, in Silver Spring in a couple of weeks, I don't think there'll be any drastic action taken against those two unions. I don't think so, but I could be wrong. But there'll be some sort of punishment, you know, but even that language really troubles me. Punishment for following conscience, you know, are we people of religious liberty or what? You see why it's a very troubling area to me. Okay. So um, I have faced the question over the past two years only, you know, especially since San Antonio, about where we're going. And dear friends, this is why over and over I come back to Jesus. My speaking and writing is Jesus. It's not about the church, it's about Jesus. And the One Project, I want to thank the One Project. You know, Nolan and I were feeling a bit down after San Antonio and some of the stuff that was going on. Um, and then the One Project, with its emphasis on Jesus, is just renewing, okay? And um, so whatever happens, Look, I'll tell you, I think some stormy waters are ahead for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I do. But I think out of it, the Lord will bring a purified and truly reformed and a better church, more Christ-like church. I think it will mean, and I don't know how it will happen, a much smaller general conference. And and uh, the congregation being recognized and funded again as the real heart of the church. This is where the church is, right here, rather than in Silver Spring. That's important. But authority, in my understanding, flows up from here, up through the conference and the union, and then to Silver Spring, not the other way. We love to gossip. Uh, we love conspiracy theories. Uh, 
Yeah. Um, how do we gr address the growing frenzy of those who spend all their energy tearing down the church, mm. tearing down each other? Mm. Um, how do we reach across the aisle to work with other local churches uh, to stop the divide? Oh, wow. Boy, it's really where the rubber meets the road now, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, a lot of our churches, unfortunately, have become dysfunctional. Some of them have become toxic. Am I too strong? They have, you know. Uh, there are people, and of course, the modern communication, the internet, websites, and publications. You know, you, you don't have, anyone can just spew out stuff. A mixture of fact and dubious arguments and, and uh, hatred and vitriol. And, um, you know, I, I would strongly suggest you, dear friends, don't spend a lot of time on the internet, especially with these Adventist websites. Okay. I would so not, because you would lose your experience. You know. In fact, in fact, um, Nolan and I, you know, I'm a person who's a news hound. Okay, right from boyhood, I just love news and newspapers. Uh, we often don't turn on the evening news. Why not? Too depressing. <laughs> Too depressing. Yeah. Rather put on a, you know, a, a movie, put on a DVD, you know, that you can go to bed feeling good about, you know, comedy or, you know, romantic comedy. <laughs> Confession time, no. Okay. I'm with you, Bill. I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. In the local church, boy, that is really tough, and I don't have to deal with that. Loma Linda, we've got a series of great churches to go to. We're members of the uh, university church, Randy Roberts, great preacher. We often go to Crosswalk, great preacher, Tim Gillespie. Average age in that church is about 30. Packed with millennials, packed. Okay. Come early or you won't get a seat. Millennials, yeah. Millennials. Hundreds of them. 1,500 of them. On the books now. So, um, yeah, what to do in the local congregation with people who are just spreading all this stuff. Love them. I have found, I've given up. I've lost confidence in the power of argument to win over some people, you know. They won't be won by argument, only be won by loving them, okay? And in time, the Lord may bring them out. I have seen that. Believe me, I was editor for long, long enough, and I had some letters that would come across my desk often Monday morning of all time, <laughs> you know, and they were so hot you had to have asbestos gloves to handle them, you know. <laughs> so, so bitter. And, you know, and I read them all. I, the word of my secretary was, I want to see them all. Now, I've got to tell you, 90% of the mail was positive. Others were really stinkers. <laughs> but with some of these letters, I'd reply saying, friend, you may be right. The Lord bless you. You know, early days, I used to try and answer them. Then answer, what happens? You get another answer, you know, never-ending cycle. So, friend, you may be right. The Lord bless you. And you know what happened in a few cases, in some cases, I've had people say, please remove that letter from your files. I'm sorry I sent it to you. Destroy that letter, please. I don't want it in your files. So, you know, a soft answer being loving. It is hard with some of these people who are so hard-nosed. No. Pray for grace. That's where you'll find the ability to cope. One question, and i got one question here. I'm going to wrap. Sure. Um. I didn't know you were waiting for a question, Ian. 
I didn't know you were waiting for a question. Sure. You can. No, and, I'll, uh, I'll happily defer. That's great, Ian. Let's take your question. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, so as, a, as brothers and sisters in Christ and yeah. as a member oh, of this yeah. denomination, um, I think we're called to keep each other accountable. And uh, in that respect, if this issue that we're discussing here boils down to uh, the authority of our church leadership, in a sense, my question as a younger member in the denomination, maybe like, and maybe being naive is, how, how do I keep our church leadership accountable at each level or maybe at the, yeah. at the extended levels of the union GC level? You know, what mechanisms are available to me as an individual member to make sure that, they're, yeah. that, like that, that authority isn't abused? Other people are asking that question. Now, we do have uh, mechanisms of accountability at, I think, all levels except the general conference level. I don't think there's any clear um, level there. I mean, is it only through, driven? Or? Only through the vote, you know, when they come up for election. I think that's the only level there. But I, who, who do I, who should I be reaching out to if I do feel the church authority has crossed the line that I think God has impressed on me? Is that a, a local representative? I know there are constituent voting members that go at the yeah. conference level, and, and maybe those are... I, maybe maybe I'm what I'm searching for are resources to become more informed on that process. Yeah. Well, as again, I said, at the local level, if it's a question there, um, you have the local conference. And the, uh, beyond that, the union. Um, uh, at the general conference, you can, can write emails and tell them about your concerns. Um, I've found that there at the general conference, I don't know how it is these days, I've been gone a while. Okay, they used to be very uh, concerned about mail. You know, if they got half a dozen letters, they would feel that this was a real concern. I didn't used to tell them, hey, I, I get hundreds of letters on some editorials I wrote, you know. So they used to be at least, I can't tell you, you know, they used to read their mail and, be, and take it very seriously. So, there's always that avenue. Okay, thank you. I, I guess my concern, I guess, would be is that if I write a letter to someone, is it just gonna get filed away? And if they can, put, if they can take a report from a commission of 100 religious thinking leaders, what, you know, does my voice count in that sense? I think, I think we should notice this, and, and maybe everybody should know this. Uh, you as members have way more power than we as employees have. That's right. Right, And yeah. you need to remember this. Um, your voice carries way more weight. I mean, I may carry a little bit more than you, but you have, uh, <laughs> you have, uh, that was not that funny. Uh, <laughs> You actually carry tremendous weight in the church, and, and, and God, with the tremendous wisdom he has, has somehow set the church up that way. Yeah. The church has been led by the wisdom of the people coming together yeah. in prayer. You actually yeah. have tremendous power. You just don't use it. Yeah. And you, as members, never use your power. It you, is your you, church. You just don't. You just don't. You never get, rise up. You never get together. You never talk. You, you just, you just, what you do is you just get together, and you talk in little rooms, and then you just sit down and most of you just stop attending uh, and, uh, and then and you just kind of meander away. So I'm encouraging you, don't quit, don't leave. It's your church. God called you to it. Stand. Yeah. Uh, stay engaged. But hey, we've got another Thank question. You. Ian, you've got a mic now. Thanks. And then we've got we to wrap up because we are supposed to end in one minute. Ian. Can you hear me? Yes. No. <laughs> Go. I'm required to pass a message from God, and I act out the message, his message all the time by spreading his word personally. And maybe, in brackets, I'm ordained by God to do this, I don't know. I was selected, but I didn't know when I was selected, but I was told to pass the message, the message of the intervening years which I consider is the time from when the Bible was put to print and now. And during the 2,000 years, lots have been said by men of, with ample experience and knowledge, and that, that message has been passed down through their books, 
through their speeches, and it's been my pleasure and my enjoyment to, in fact, put these thousand messages, a thousand messages over 40 years into rhyming, scanning poetry. And what I'd like to do now is... is it, sorry, Ian, do, do you have a question? Or do you have a, I, a I, I, I am making a speech. No, no, no. All right, Peter, uh, cut the microphone. No, Ian, cut the microphone. No promotion, question only. That's okay. I love your books, but we're not going to have a promotion. We will, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. So, that's okay. It's okay. So, our time is up. Uh, we're here for questions only, not for uh, advertising. Um, we have so much time. We have another session at 2 o'clock. We have lunch right now. We have two hours, and I'd like to encourage you to get great lunch, connect yeah. with each other. I have stacks of more questions here. I actually want to address all of these questions as much as possible. Uh, we, we do have a cab from 2 to 3.30 is the time that we're planning to end uh, the afternoon session. And I think we're going to try and get through all of these yeah. questions. Uh, Japheth, uh, would you like me to cut the afternoon pretty short, my opening remarks? No, I don't want to cut your uh, remarks Because short. I went a bit long in no. this session. No, no. I'll cut it quite short. No. I'll tell you where we want to go this afternoon. <laughs> Talk about... It's an upbeat thing. I have a chapter in the book, The Promise of Adventism. So some of the ideas in that book. In other words, what do we have to offer for the world? Okay. I think we Adventists have something that the world needs. I really I believe that. Believe it passionately. Okay. Um, I think often the way we present it is awful or poor or, you know, whatever. But we do have a lot. I'd like to talk about that with you, and then I want to put a question to you, but only toward the end, the last 10 minutes or so. I'd like to hear from you, if we have time, but I want to respect the questions. I'll try to not be too long-winded and give short answers, shorter answers. So we move along. Bill, we have time for your message, and uh, we, don't want to lose, we don't want to lose that. We will have time for the questions. Please continue sending them in. Um, and, uh, and we will address them. If we don't hit all of them verbally, we'll make sure we do respond to them. So make sure you send your questions in. We'll see you at 2 p.m. Uh, you're welcome to stay in the sanctuary if you need to be able to hang out here. Uh, we have the room 203 as well if you want to be able to have your lunches inside the church here as well, which is on the same floor right here to the side. Those online, we hope to see you back here uh, all around the world uh, again at 2 p.m. Mountain Time here. Could I just... Uh I just thought of a comment from a highly respected person. It sort of follows up on what the gentleman was saying earlier. This man uh, occupied a high position in the church. He's now retired. In fact, he came within a few votes of being the general conference president. And we talked a few days ago um, by telephone. And uh, he said this. He said, I have a question. I said, what's your question? He said, why is it that people, meaning people in the general conference, who know what's going on are not saying anything? I thought, whoa. In other words, why aren't we hearing, finding people standing up and being counted? Okay. This is a man of integrity, okay? Yeah, obviously. And believe me, that's the way he lived as a leader of this church. And um, anyway, interesting comment, isn't it? So I think whether we're in Washington or whether we're here, let's, you know, it's our church, okay? Let's work together to make it closer to the ideal that Jesus wants for this church. The Lord bless you. Thank you. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so far, Lord, for all that you have done in the past, for the time we've spent so far, Lord, in the conversations we're having. Lord, I ask for a blessing on our continued conversation through lunch. Yeah. Uh, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom. Give us grace. Mm. Uh, give us understanding and give us the ability to be able to see the hope that you've laid and the path forward. Uh, may we have you as our focus and as our absolute assurance that you hold us together. In Jesus' Amen. most beautiful and precious name, Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen.